the field was lost, but still Hurin and Huor and the remnant of the house of Hador stood firm with Turgon of Gondolin, and the hosts of Morgoth could not yet win the pass of Sirion. When Hurin spoke to Turgon, saying, Go now, Lord, while time is, for in you lives the last hope of the Eldar, and while Gondolin stands, Morgoth shall still know fear in his heart. But Turgon answered, Not long now can Gondolin be hidden, and being discovered, it must fall. Then Huor spoke and said, Yet if it stands but a little while, then out of your house shall come hope of the elves and men. This I say to you, Lord, with the eyes of death, through though we part here forever, and I shall not look upon your white walls again, from you and from me a new star shall rise. Farewell. And Maglin, Turgon's sister's son, who stood by, heard these words and did not forget them, but he said nothing. Welcome back, guys. Yeah, welcome to Keep On Talking. This is, uh, I'm Danny J. This is Joel N. And we're here giving you episode 13. Or no, this is episode... Yeah. Yeah, this is 13. 13. 13. It's starting to get hard to keep track. Yeah. <laughs> episode 13. Tour. So, uh, if you'll remember previously, our last few episodes, we've been going over the three major tales of the of the first age uh, as tolkien put it there are the three what is it the essential tales the chief tales chief tales of the elder days yeah three chief tales so the first of which was the baron and luthien love tale uh we covered that in two episodes and then there was the uh children of Hurin or story of turin turinbar we covered that in two episodes and now the third of the chief tales is going to be involving our good friend tuor who's actually cousin to turin yeah, a little younger. He's like eight years younger, but uh, yeah, they're they're cousins. Um, so yeah, so to start the story of Tuor, we have to talk a little bit about Turgon, son of Fingolfin. A lot of Tuor's story has to do with Gondolin, right? And Turgon, as we know, later goes to found Gondolin. Mm-hmm. So originally, when the Noldor uh, returned to Middle Earth at the beginning of the First Age. Uh, Turgon settled in Nevrast, where he built uh, Vinyamar. Vinyamar, right? Yeah, Vinyamar. Yep. And uh, he had one-third of the Noldor of Fingolfin's people. So he had a pretty good chunk of the, of the, uh, of the Noldor there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and some Sindar follow uh, Turgon as well. So pretty early on in the First Age, in ab- about 50 years into the First Age, uh, Turgon actually came in contact with the Valar Ulmo. Ulmo, Lord of Waters. And Ulmo's always been kind of like a, a Prometheus from Greek mythology. He's always been out to help out elves and men. He kind of pities them mm-hmm. after the rest of the Valar, kind of left them alone. He's, so he's also kind of solitary from the Valar as well. Yeah, he kind he's kind of off on his own all the time. Yeah, he doesn't like, uh, like you know if Ulmo shows up to a meeting at the Ring of Doom, like shit is really going down. Yeah, like, it's a big deal. Because Ulmo usually never comes back from the sea. 
So at one point uh, in the in the first stage, about 50 years in, Umo actually talks to Durgon and instructs him to prepare a secret kingdom in the hidden valley of Tumladen in the encircling mountains. Um, we'll post a map of this just to show you exactly where it is, where they started and where they moved from. Neverass is kind of an area along the, the western coast. Yeah, it's... And yeah. you kind of move straight east inward into the mountains. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll we'll post a map just so everyone can see where that's where that is. And then it took them about fifty-two years of secret labor uh, f- with Turgon and his people to start building Gondolin. Yeah, and Gondolin uh, it stood for uh, around five hundred years, and it was in uh, almost in in sub, uh, complete seclusion. Because the thing about Gondolin is once they built it, you can uh, it's a secret city, so like you can't. Only certain people are allowed to come and go. Right, they're trying to keep it a secret as yeah. much as they can. And with that many people living there, they're pretty strict. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a, yeah, you can't come or go policy. Right. <laughs> unless you have a specific reason. But yeah, they, they remained secret for a very long time. And the city itself was actually built uh, after the city of Tyrion. Yeah, yeah. And back in Valinor. Back in Valinor. So that's that's what Turgon had in mind when he started building this great city. It's one of the greatest Noldorian kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so so uh, Turgon had his, his kingdom at Neverest, but he uh, largely abandoned it. But um, following a prophecy by Ulmo, he left in Vinyamar a sword and mail and helm for one who would come at the hour of direst need. Direst, most dire need for uh, the uh, for the Noldor. And it will bring hope. Yeah. Ulmo basically uh, foretold the fall of the Noldor, you know, letting Turgon know, hey, this isn't going to last forever. And you should leave behind these items for an unspoken hero who will show up in your in your greatest hour of need. Who could that be? Who could that be? I wonder. And also Turgon, he, um, he also sent secretly mariners over to, to try to get to Valinor. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, most of them disappear, yep. except for uh, one guy in particular named Veronwe. Yeah, he sent some sailors out to try and uh, obtain the mercy of the Valar after Melkor started seriously winning all the battles of Beleriand. Mm-hmm. He knew that they needed help, and he was desperately trying to do what he could while they were still a secret city, so they sent out those those secret mariners who'd never came back except for the one like you said now that's kind of a a background on the city of gondolin and how that came to be just briefly um another another couple people that we have to talk about who are super crucial to the whole gondolin story is hurin and huor right that's turin's father and huor's father or tuor's father excuse me a lot of t's and h's yeah (laughs) and uh yeah so these are two two men of the house of hador um and uh, so basically what happens is uh, the Dagor Brakalak, which is the the fourth battle. Battle of Sudden Flame, the one where dark times kind of started. Right, yeah, this is the one where the the peace is finally broken. Right, this is right before the Baron and Luthien tale. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the brothers are uh, a little bit caught up after this battle mm-hmm. by, uh, by some orcs that are giving them some trouble. Um. And uh, they're actually rescued uh, at the at the behest of Ulmo. They're rescued by Thorondor and the the great eagles. Yeah, the eagles come to save the day again. Once again. Once again. 
Only only in times of most dire need do the the eagles show up. So the eagles show up to save Hurin and Huor from these orcs, and it takes them to Gondolin. Gondolin, because Gondolin is near where their Eyrie is, where the eagles live. They're above. Yeah, the, the so yeah, the the holdup for all of the great eagles is actually in the encircling mountains, is it not? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's really close to Gondolin. Yeah, they call it the Chrysagrim, don't they? Like the the yep. crest of yeah. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, Chrysagrim. For all you taking notes at home. Yeah, take some notes. Chrysagrim <laughs> in the encircling mountains in the Vale of Tumladen. Now Turgon also, I'm sorry, Umo counseled Turgon, the king of Gondolin, to treat these two, uh, Hurin and Huor, as guests because uh, Umo prophesied that help would come from their house eventually. So naturally Turgon received them well, mm-hmm. uh, treated them like guests and... It was it was kind of nice. They lived amongst the Gondolindrum for for a couple of years. For a couple, yeah, like two years, right? Yeah, yeah. So they and they they were like in high regard. Like uh, you know, people loved them. They're good guys. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and the 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 Gondolindrum really took to them. They you know they were like pretty close to to Turgon the king. They were they were the toast of the town, man. People really liked them. But alas, the whole rule that you can't come and go became an issue because there's still all of this stuff going on with Hurin and Huor's people back home with their with their house and all this fighting that's still going on after the war and they can't leave. So eventually uh, they I don't want to say they begged Turgon. They do kind of beg him. But they do kind of <laughs> beg him. They say, you know, the elves are granted with these long spans of lives and while you guys hide out here it might be a short time for you but for us this is it's years and years yeah. and we've got you know things going on back home that we have to attend to like can we please leave we'll even leave the way we came so we can't tell anyone where this place actually is mm-hmm. and reluctantly Turgon actually agrees I think this is the only time he ever waves the rule like you can't leave Gondolin right except for like people that you know well right he has his special spies and people yeah, going yeah. out but in but general, yeah, he's in. He gives them leave to come go the way they came, mm-hmm. essentially. So yeah, they're picked up by the eagles and they're uh, they're dropped off at at home in Dorloman. Back in Dorloman, and as soon as they get back to Dorloman, uh, Hurin actually takes a wife and he marries someone by the name of Rian from the house of Beor. Oh, Huor marries Rian. Did you say Hurin? Oh, did I say the Hurin? I think you said Hurin. I'm sorry. Anyway, Hur- Huor marries Rian of the House of Beor. And uh, they have a son called Tuor. And what's really cool about Tuor is he's the descendant of all three houses of the Adain. Mm-hmm. Because his father is from the House of Hador and Haleth, is that right? I believe so, yeah. We l- yeah, we looked this up the other night. Yeah, and then uh, Rian, his mother, is from the House of Beor. So you get all three houses of men, Beor... Hador and Haleth. So that that was pretty cool. He's a pretty he's a pretty unique guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, T- Tour is actually born right around the time. It's either shortly after or right around the same time that um, Huar and Hurin march off to war in the the Nirnaith. Yeah. So he's he's pretty young when it comes to the next great battle, the the Dagor Nirnaith Arnoidiad. Yeah, I always have trouble with that last one. Arnoidiad. The Battle of Unnumbered Tears, which is r- the major victory for Melkor that really turns everything around. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so he's he's yeah you're right I think he's just being born uh, while at this point his cousin Turin if you remember from last episode yeah. he was like eight years he's old? about eight years old yeah he's old enough to realize like he doesn't want his dad to go off to war right and at this point Tour yeah Tour's just being born yeah and so um, in the near nath Arnoidiad, which we've actually mentioned this before in uh, previous episodes um, Huor is killed. Um, Mm-hmm. In the battle, and actually, uh, which is um, right around the time from the excerpt that we read earlier. Yeah, today. that excerpt at the beginning is kind of uh, explains what happens right before Huor's death during the battle of the the Nirnath when they know they're losing. Mm-hmm. They start to retreat, and uh, Huor specifically says to Turgon, "Hey, you Gondolindrum really have to get out of here because you're the last stronghold of the Noldor. That's mm-hmm. what this is all about—the whole Noldor versus Melkor stuff." Um, and that's when Huor prophesizes the savior is going to become from the heirs of both of their houses. That's what the whole uh, beginning excerpt was about for the episode today. Yeah, and just uh, to to read that again, it says, Out of your house shall come the hope of elves and men. From you and from me a new star shall arise. Pretty hopeful stuff during a pretty dark time. And then shortly after that, Huor is killed. And his family never hears from him again. Nope. That's the end of Huor. And yeah, so uh, after the, the Nirnath Arnoidiad, things are not going well in Dor Littleman. They are, we talked about this in the Turin episode, they are uh, under occupation by the Easterlings. Yep. The evil men that uh, betrayed the Union during the uh, Nirnath. Buttholes. What a bunch of turds. Yeah, they're turds. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, it was uh, it was widely known news that the battle was lost. And after Huor didn't come back, and uh, Rian, his wife, heard that, you know, we lost the battle. In fact, it was a slaughter. So when Rian hears that the battle is over, and not only that, but the battle is lost... Uh, and the Easterlings are coming to take over their land. She obviously panics and tries to leave Dorloman while she's still pregnant with Tuor. And she probably would have been lost and died in the wilderness if she had not, luckily, been picked up by a band of Cinderin elves. Cinderin elves from Mithrim. Uh, Mithrim is, what, just close by to where they are, right? Yeah, Mithrim is, uh, I think it's just south of Hithlum proper. Okay. Le- and like we said earlier, we're, th- we're going to throw up some maps to kind of show you guys where all this happens because there's some traveling that takes place in the mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Um, so the Cinderin elves, they pick her up and uh, they bring her to their hideout home in the mountains of Mithrim. And they, they live there for a while. Yeah, and, and shortly after Tuor is born, um, the leader of the Cinderin elves uh, tells Rian that they have news that Huor has been killed. In uh, in the near nath, and uh, so Rianne she falls into a deep despair, and uh, she's only in her early twenties too. Like she's young, she's got a whole life ahead of her. Right. Um, and she traveled to uh, the Howd and mm, I don't know how to say that. I it's I can't pronounce it. It's either. The, uh, the it's a very hard word to pronounce. Anyway, it means the hill of the slain. Right, because after the Nirnath, all of the dead, and there were a lot of dead, 
they took all the dead bodies from the battle and they just stacked them up and it made a, a giant hill of bodies. And they called it the Hill of the Slain. And after Rion heard that Huor was was dead, she couldn't believe it. And out of despair, she actually traveled to where the battle was and found the mound of bodies. And she became struck with just absolute grief. And she fell and laid down on the Hill of Bodies and died. And died. <coughs> yeah, right there. Right there. So our main character is now an orphan. And he's... Like, he never even knew his mother. Right. And now he, he's an orphan. Or his father. He didn't know any of his parents. Right. Orphan living with some Cinder and Elves. Pretty similar to his cousin, actually, to around his cousin, this point yeah, in time. Being raised in Doria. Mm-hmm. I think this is around the same time when, uh, yeah, he when Turin, his cousin, was being raised in Doria. Yeah, so, yeah, the, he le- so Turin leaves right around the same time that Tur, uh, Tur is born. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, just fun facts. Yeah. <laughs> So after a while, after the Easterlings had totally invaded Hithlum, the, the little band of Sindar that was hiding out in the, the Mithra Mountains, they had to move. They had to move their camp over to a different area called Androth. And that's really where Tuor spent a lot of his youth and grew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a cave system. There. Right. Yeah. So that was pretty it was pretty in depth and a good place to hide. Now at one point, you know, they weren't just living in these mountains just to see how long they could get by. They were trying to find a way to leave. Mm-hmm. And their main strategy at this point was to try to cross Hithlum and leave the country, that country area through what's known as the Gate of the Noldor. Can I try to say this in Elvish? Yeah, you, you go for the Elvish name. <laughs> I wasn't even going to try. This is Anon and Geldiv. Yeah. It's basically uh, an area at the beginning of the mouths of the great river Syrian. And... We'll again reference some maps to this, mm-hmm. and it's a the gate of the Noldor is, it's an important geological place because or geographical place because it's kind of right along the borders of Hithlum. The Hithlum's c- totally encircled by mountains, mm-hmm. and this is kind of like a secret way through those mountains. Right. Apparently, there was a secret door that the Noldor came through on a river that went through the mountains, and nobody can really find it. So these Sindarin elves, they're not quite aware of where it is and they they try looking for it so what eventually happens is um are they they're assailed by orcs right yeah so they try to make <laughs> a, a trip across hithlum to make it to where they where the gate where they think the where gate they think the gate is but they get assailed by orcs and the uh, the elven group that Tuor grew up with and lived with was totally disbanded and he actually himself got captured Captured, and he becomes a thrall. Yeah, too. he becomes a... S- Turin didn't make it, and he became a, a slave. Tour. I'm sorry, Tour. This is going to be hard for Joel. I apologize. <laughs> Tour. Tour, son of Hur. He is, yeah, he is enslaved. Uh, yeah, and he he uh, he um, serves the Easterling tree, uh, chief, whose name is Lorgan. And, uh, yeah, he they cruelly oppress the remainder of the House of Hador. And uh, he he worked in slavery for um, right around three years. And uh, during this time, he became, this is when he became a man, essentially. He grew to his full stature and strength. And uh, he was swifter than any of the Easterlings could ever be. Swifter and taller. And taller, yeah. Yeah, Remember these, we talked about this in the last episode, these men of the House of Hador, with the exception of our good pal Hurin, 
are tall and big men. Mm-hmm. Who uh, who who in made up with made up uh, made up for it with his ferocity? Oh yeah, that <laughs> scene where he where he goes down at toward the end of the near nath and he's yeah. just slaying what like seventy people that try 70. to come after him with a with Aure an axe. and Tuluva. Yeah, he's slaying. he's pretty badass. Yeah, yeah. So Tuor has uh, some of the genes from the House of Hador, and he's he's huge. He's a big guy. And uh, after his uh, three years or so that he was enslaved, he v- eventually gets to a point where he is large enough to kind of overthrow two of the people that are watching him at one point when they're out in the woods. Mm-hmm. And he, he books it and he makes it out. And he makes his way back to Androth. Yeah, he makes it back to the only place where he really knows to hide out. He makes it back to Androth and he's the only one there. All the other elves that were living with him there, they, you know, they got captured and ran off when they got to hit by orcs previously, but he lives there for another four years as just kind of an outlaw, just fucking with the, the Easterlings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so he takes up this plan again that he was originally trying to do, and they're trying to, fi- he's going to try to find the gate of the Noldor and get out of Hithlum. Yeah, just like he heard the hel- the elves trying to do, because at this point, that's the only good plan he's got either, so. Mm-hmm. So one night... On a fateful night, um, a spring of water starts sh- uh, trickling out through the front of the cave system. Um, and uh, so Tuor decides that, you know, this might be something. Yeah, he became inspired at that because it was some kind of miraculous event. And he was inspired to follow the water, mm-hmm. which sounds what kind of like a sign from our, our good friend Ulmo. Ulmo. So he traveled southwest along the spring, uh, down through Hitham until he reached an opening in the mountains on the other side, along the western edge. And he didn't really see what was going on here. It was kind of just a weird opening into a cave. And he it's just water rushing through, not much to look at. And then at this point, he's kind of confused and lost, but he happens upon two important characters. Two elves, in fact, and their names are Gelmir and Arminas. And those two elves, I know their names are kind of random, but you might remember them from the last story, the story of Turin. Right, because who do they work for but Kyrdan the fucking shipwright. Kyrdan the shipwright. So back in the story of, of Turin, uh, if you guys are paying attention in that episode, there's a point when Turin's living in Nargothrond, and two elves come to warn him yep. that, hey, we got a message from Círdan. That who, Ulmo, who got it from Ulmo. Who got it from Ulmo that says, you guys should uh, really break down this bridge in front of Nargothron and batten down the cages because there's some bad stuff coming. Mm-hmm. Those two elves that deliver that message are, in fact, these two same. Two and the same. Yeah. And they help uh, They help Tuor through the gate of the Noldor. Mm-hmm. They, they see him and... They they talk to him for a while, and they, they get to talk, and they find out that, hey, they're messengers from Círdan, and they were actually on their way down to Nargothrond to talk to them about what was about to happen. And Tuor tells them that he's sitting here trying to find the gate of the Noldor. Mm-hmm. And they're basically like, well, look no further. You're kind of standing in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so tu- uh, Tuor passes through the gate of the Noldor and comes to Nevrast. And at this point, he sees... What no mortal man has yet seen, the sea. Yeah, I 
when I read that, it kind of took me a minute. I was like, that can't be right. No, because they all come from the east. Yeah, I was thinking Yeah, you think about it. Everyone that deals with the ocean thus far, they're all elves. Yeah, all elves. They're all elves. And the men have never even come this far. So he's the first human man to actually come to the shore of the sea. And he's filled with, what do they call it, sea longing? Right, he yeah. He falls in love with the sea. He's in fall, yeah, he instantly falls. There's characters in Tolkien that have this sea longing, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's basically like they're constantly drawn to the sea. Right. Yeah. It's a magical thing. Mm-hmm. There's a really cool uh, portion in the Unfinished Tales. I think it's actually like the very first story in the Unfinished Tales is called Of Two War and His Coming to Gondolin. And it's literally just about this journey. Mm-hmm. where he starts following this trickling stream and he mm-hmm. gets to the gate of the null door and he gets through and as he comes out to the ocean the descriptions are just amazing they're so gorgeous there's Tolkien writes this whole portion of time he draws it out of him like making it and walking along this crevice to the to the shore and it's gorgeous and there's like a, a, mag- a magical music that comes from how the water runs into this crevice and the birds are one it's it's really something you should read it yeah, it's amazing. Read the unfinished tales. That sh- that shit is. Uh, I've said this before. It is pornographic. It really is. It's amazing. It, to to a Tolkien fan, uh, unfinished tales is just. Oh, it's great. It's some of the. When I was reading that story, it struck me as some of the best writing that I had read so far on Tolkien in terms of describing like a magical landscape. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about Middle Earth and Beleriand. They're all these you know fantasy, high fantasy, magical places. And he definitely goes into description on like geography and stuff, but he does a he does a smash up job here. You should check it out. Yeah. So, at this point, Tour reaches the shores of the sea, and he makes it to the country of Neverest for the first time. And he spends some time along the shores of the Great Sea. Uh, they call it the shore the shores there. It's the Sea of uh, Belagir. Belagir. Mm-hmm. And he walks along the shore, and eventually he makes it down to Vinyamar, the old kingdom that Turgon was living in for a while mm-hmm. before they built Gondolin. They abandoned it. They abandoned that place to go move to Gondolin. He followed some swans down the shore to, to make it here. There were another sign. He got, like, multiple signs to follow along on his journey. And so he made it to Vinyamar, which is an abandoned city, an uh, abandoned kingdom. And what does he find while he's there? A set of arms and mail and helmet that just, they fit him. They fit him perfectly. They fit him perfectly. Look at that. And they're just one of the only, like, things left in this this, uh, kingdom. He makes it into, like, the throne room and whatnot, and they're set up above the throne. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, the the shield that it has, it has an image of a, a white swan on a blue field, and it's just supposed to be really beautiful. And he takes up arms, and, uh, I mean, why not? They're just hanging out there, and he wanders back down to the shore. But then during a great storm, he is actually visited himself by Ulmo, the Lord of Waters. Appears directly to this human man, which... Like never happens. I don't right, think right. That's the first time. I don't think any of the Valar really show up and do anything with the men. No, yeah, they 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 mostly don't fuck with men. But Tour is a pretty important character. Beloved of Ulmo, beloved of Ulmo, and Ulmo orders him to seek out the city of Gondolin to warn them, essentially, 
This is that long-prophesized warning that's supposed to come to Turgon. So the morning after he talks to Ulmo, he's uh, still near the shores on a Neverast near Vinyamar, and he actually finds someone on the shores, an elf called Vuronwe, who happens to be one of the elves that are from Gondolin, that Turgon, Turgon had sent out to try to ship and sail their way over to Valinor, but right. like we said earlier, nobody made it, and everyone was lost except for this guy who just happened to wash up on shore right there in Vinyamar, right as Tuor is hanging out there. Yeah, and uh, so Varunwe essentially realizes that they all know the prophecy of Ulmo, so he reali- he kind of realizes that this might be that dude. So might be the guy. This might be our guy. So he reli- like not reluctantly he <laughs> he decides to lead him back to Gondolin to find the secret path to Gondolin. And so yeah, he they're going. This is actually a really cool part. They're they're yeah, going. This is through, this is a great part in the story. Um, so they're going through um this uh this part of the this part of Balerion that is devastated by Glaurung the dragon from the last episode if you guys recall correctly and um they're at the pools of Ivrin which you might remember from the next episode or from the last episode as well um to our or Turin goes there a couple times in his in his life but at uh at that particular juncture they see a man who doesn't say anything to them, but he looks like he's busy. He lo- yeah, he looks pretty <laughs> preoccupied. Mind you, this is a very large, dark-haired man. Beautiful man. Too. Beautiful man with a crazy dragon helmet on and a black sword. And they just see this guy booking it north. And they kind of they have a moment where they kind of they they both see each other, but they don't speak, and nothing is ever said. And that's it. And that's it. And, and that guy runs away. And he runs away. And that's his fucking cousin, man. That's 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 fucking Turin. That's Turin Turinbar. Turin Turinbar. That's he's got cousin, Gorthang. Man. Yeah, he's got Gorthang with him, and he's on a on a mission. Honestly, I fantasize about what it would be like if those two actually stopped to say something to each other right, right there. Like, yeah, yeah. what could have happened if they figured out, you know, both of them on their own missions? Like, what's going yeah, on here? At least you get a hug, right? Right. <laughs> from your I cousin? Wanna, I, w- I want to <laughs> think that Turin could have helped out Tuor with his mission and vice versa, but but I don't know, Honestly, man. with the way Turin Turinbar's life goes, he probably ended up would have just ended up fucking up everything for everything. Tuor. Yeah. So it's probably good that they stayed apart. It's probably good they didn't hook up, yeah. <sighs> but that that's just a really cool... It's a, it's a moment in history. A moment in passing. Yeah. Of two great characters that could have met anyway so they see not knowing that it was his cousin Turin they see Turin Turinbar running by and uh, they're like well that was weird I guess let's continue and they continue on and they do make it all the way to the encircling mountains to where Gondolin is the secret Gate of Gondolin. The secret gate. Kind of like the secret gate of the Noldor. The secret gate of Gondolin is another weird geographical structure of some kind. of uh, Like a, a dried out river that runs under a mountain that's hidden and all sorts of crazy stuff. We're not going to get too into detail about that. but. So yeah, they're, um, they're, so they're essentially trying to get back into the Gondolin where they're um, 
they are taken prisoner by a man called Elemakil. And they're brought before Ecthelion of the Fountain. Ecthelion is a cool character, guys. Keep track of this guy. Now, Ecthelion recognizes the arms that Tuor is wearing. And recognize it as the uh, arms that they had sent, beho- that they had left behind, you know, by the request of Umo, and he he recognizes the sign and instantly welcomes him into the city with honor because he, he knows that this guy must be important. This and is the guy we've been he, looking for. Yeah, this is the guy we've been we've been waiting for. We've been dreaming for. So he takes Tuor before the High King Turgon himself. Now, mind you, at this point, Turgon is the king of the Noldor, isn't he? He's the last remaining. He is the High King of the Noldor, yeah, because yep. Fingon is killed in the Near Nath. So coming in front of the king, he finally delivers the message that Umo bid him to deliver, that the doom of Mandos was nearing in its fulfillment, and Turgon should abandon his city and retreat to the havens of Syrian. And he, he delivers this message without having he kind of gets like possessed by Umo like yeah he doesn't quite understand the word he's the words he's saying but yeah he's saying them he's saying <laughs> them and for whatever reason even though Turgon had prepared for this messenger for like I mean how many years ago did he leave that stuff there in back in Vinyamar I mean it's been like hundreds of years at this point hasn't it since the Gondolindrum got set up almost five hundred years almost right? five hundred years yeah. and even though he's aware of all this. <laughs> And he trusted Umo enough to, you know, make the the uh, armor and whatnot and leave it there. Apparently, Turgon decided not to heed Umo's warning. Though it Foolish. did prompt him to block the the hidden door into Gondolin. and they kind of collapsed it to make sure no one gets in. Right, but and then they they stopped letting they stopped letting messengers or anybody. It was completely shut off from then on. Right, they just went into high security mode. I think it was another one of those pride things. Like, he loved his city so much at this point, he didn't want to abandon it. Right. Similar thing that happened with uh, Orodreth and the Bridge of Turin. Right. Like, we love this bridge. It's super dope. We're not going to break it. So, that's kind of how he took Umo's message. They didn't abandon the city, but they tried to prepare the city to a point. Mm-hmm. And that was about it. And Tuor decided, well, at this point, he's got nowhere to go. He's got, got no family. Go. So he Can decides stay to stay. And yeah. They're obviously happy about not having to let him leave. Right, because <laughs> so they're, yeah, they're done with that. So he lives in Gondolin with them. And, and this yeah, is he learns everything from yeah. the Naldar. This is Tuor's life. He's essentially like an elf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is uh, probably the most beloved of the... The um he was most accepted by the Naldor as one of their own, because he essentially, well, you you'll see why. But like he he he's uh very well renowned among the Naldor. Yeah, it's soon after that, or excuse me. So while he's living there, he falls in love with King Turgon's daughter, and her name is Idril. Idril Celebrindal. And. Idril is also a love interest of another character who happens to be in Gondolin at this time. Also a character that happens to be her cousin. Right, and we actually mentioned him in the excerpt. Yeah, his name is Maglin, and he is also an asshole. Yeah, so a little bit of background, uh, 30 seconds on Maglin. How about that? Maglin's father was Aeol, a dark elf, who kidnapped uh, essentially Turgon's sister and married her 
and kept her over in his forest where he made he he was a really good smith made a lot of cool stuff including Turin sword Turin Turin bar sword Anglekel later known as Gurthang and uh, he also made another sword called Angriel Angriel who uh, we assume Maglin has it we assume yeah Maglin uh, most likely has it because um. Meglin and his mother actually escape Ale because they hate him. Yeah. And they make their way back to Gondolin. So that's how that's Meglin, how Meglin gets back. That's to how Meglin comes to being Gondolin. He's, yeah, I don't want to call him the bastard kid of Turgon's sister. Kind but of though. Kind of sort of. It was yeah. like a forced relationship, and he, Turgon's sister, you know, left when she could and brought back her kid. Mm-hmm. So Meglin has got a weird background, and he's kind of a a maniacal son of a bitch. Yeah. And he has a he has a real hard thing for his his cousin. cousin. Idril. Idril. And he desires her among all, every th- all, all else. Among all else. But sure enough, uh, her and Tuor decide to get married because they're in love. Why not? Yeah, and that does not sit well with Maglin. Not he's at all. Not no, happy. he's he's pretty upset about that. He he really comes to hate Tuor. Yeah, oh, he, he hates the He show already though. didn't like Tuor for a number of reasons. Well, he just didn't like men for whatever reason. Like, he didn't yeah. like the race of men. He's racist. Like we said, he's he just grew up as kind of a dick yeah. character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and he, um, he actually, like, gets a group of followers that also hate Tuor. And they're kind of like there's this like this secret society in the <laughs> Nolor hate, hate the man in the that city. hate uh, Tour. Yeah, it's basically like the clan. It's yeah. the clan of it's a people. It's a group of people that hate a dude based on his race. The clan of Maglin, and they're gonna <laughs> try to take him down. Yeah, what also really pisses off Maglin is at one point uh, he's so endeared by the Gondolindrum that he gets to be assigned the leader of a house. They call it the House of the Wing. How appropriate. That uh, shield that he bore coming in was that beautiful picture of a uh, a white bird. It was a swan. Mm-hmm. So they, si- they decided that was appropriate. Now, in five year 510 in the first age is when Gondolin's secrecy, f- secrecy finally failed. This is around the time when Hurin, like Tuor's uncle... You know, the one who had been captured in Angban for so many years watching the tragedy of his family go out, the children right. of Hurin. Hurin himself is released, and as he is released, he, he travels south, and he attempts to go to Gondolin. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know exactly where Gondolin is, but since he was flown there on an eagle, he has kind of an idea. So he walks up near the encircling mountains, and he starts screaming at Turgon, because, I mean... <sighs> Hurin had a pretty shitty life until this point. Mm-hmm. And he's like trying to get Turgon to let him in and he's cursing him. And ultimately, he doesn't find his way and he leaves. But it just so happens Morgoth had his spies watching. Mm-hmm. So that was that was one of the indicators, hey, Gondolin is over here. And then there was something else that actually really gave away the city altogether. Maglin. Maglin, that son of a bitch. So Maglin is defying the king's orders, and he is going outside of Gondolin uh, to mine, essentially, things, because he's, uh, he's a good smithy. And um, So yeah, he's looking for stuff to mine, and lo and behold, guess what happens? Captured by orcs. Brought to Angband to uh he speaks he speaks directly to Morgoth, doesn't he? Yeah, I think Morgoth uh, questions him directly. Yeah. And uh, Morgoth basically tries to get out of him. Hey, where's Gondolin? 
And Maglin, being the dick that he is, actually betrayed Turgon in promise for he, lordship yeah. of Gondolin and the possession of Idril, his cousin that he loved so much. Yeah. That was Morgoth's promise. I mean, I don't know why he thought he was going to honor that, but whatever, Maglin, dick. So he, for that price, betrayed the location of the entrance to Gondolin. And he kind of conspired with him from there. It wasn't just like a one-time, here's the entrance. He kind of conspired. No, he was all like, when you all show up, I'm going to help you from the inside, wink, wink. Like, we're going to... Take this place take down. Take this place down. It is, it is a full conspiracy. It is not just a... It's a it's a definite conspiracy plan. It's a yeah to the point where he even uh, Meglin even helps Morgoth plan the timing, and he has them time Son it of up. A bitch. Yeah, he has them time it up right as the Gondolindrum are all celebrating the festival of Tarnin Nosta. Did I say that right? Tarnin Osta. Uh, Tarnin Osta. Yeah. I think it's like a a harvest party of some kind. It's like uh yeah and it's, it's something like that but they what they do as part of this tradition is they all line up on the walls of Gondolin and they watch the sunrise. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well it's a big event. So everyone's a bit preoccupied and that is when Morgoth has his assault on the city start. And so okay guys, uh there's a lot of information um a lot of specific information about the fall of Gondolin that we're not going to really super get into here in this episode. We're actually thinking about uh doing an episode on the fall of Gondolin for like season 2 or something where we right. get into the uh cuz we're coming to the end of season 1 here guys. Yeah, we're coming up. So the fall of Gondolin is actually the the main name of the of the third great tale of the Elder Days. Like we had mentioned before the 3 chief tales of the elder days were Baron and Luthien, the children of Hurin. Uh, we covered that by talking about Turin Turambar. And then the third great tale is called The Fall of Gondolin. And mm-hmm. it was actually one of the first stories that Tolkien had ever started writing. Yeah, he wrote it right after the Battle of the Psalm. Yeah, it was one of his first Middle-earth writings at all, was The Fall of Gondolin. So this was supposed to be a pretty big battle, a pretty big story. Like, this is major thing, you know, Battle of Pelennor Fields type size, but unfortunately it's also one of the stories that never quite got finished, mm-hmm. which really disappoints me, because yeah, I want to hear more about, because on the other, you know, two of the three major tales, there's so much information, and there's mm-hmm. such beautiful stories when they're all put together by Christopher, but I guess the fall of Gondolin wasn't, maybe there's just too much information Dude, out there? Dude, I feel like it was the ne- it was next on his list, but he just never got around to it. Right, I was really glad that we got Baron and Luthien from him, because mm-hmm. that was a big deal for him, especially. Yeah. But, so the fall of Gondolin, the battle is huge, and we're going to try not to get into the specifics of the battle, because there is quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, but there were a few things in the battle that happened that we wanted to touch on. I mean, the battle was big as it was. There were 12 houses of, of the Gondolindrum that fought in the battle in an organized fashion that we're not going to get into. Um, as the sun went down during that day of the festival, a red glow started to grow in the north. Uh, near the dying snow, as they say, on the mountains, and it it oh excuse me the the red glow dyed the snow on the mountains like a blood color, and riders fled into the city saying Morgoth is here it's too late, and there is a huge host of uh, orcs trolls Belrogs and dragons he brought out everything, everything. like everything. he knew that this was he was coming down he was gonna smash them in one single blow. 
Right. Like that massive battle in the Nirnaith when he brought out everything, the Balrogs and the Dragons and just decimated. Yeah. He's doing that again. Except the leaguers of Angband are emptied yes. yeah, on this battle. And he is trying to take them down, and he's doing a pretty good job. There's also a really cool passage that I read that said he brought not only you know hosts of orcs and Balrogs and dragons, but he also brought something called Iron Dragons. Mm-hmm. And they're horrible creatures that were supposed to be from the pits of Angband, and they don't really say much about them, and I was looking some stuff up, and people say it can be assumed that they're basically inanimate objects. Um, and a lot of people say that it's a direct inspiration from the battle that Tolkien was in. Mm-hmm. right the before, yeah, yeah, right yeah. before he wrote this story, the the Battle of the Somme, which is uh, one of the first battles in World War One. that battle that debuted tanks. Yeah, tanks were largely... Uh, instrumental in that particular battle and that was uh right after that battle was when J.R. tolkien was so rattled up he even started he started to write the fall of gondolin mm-hmm. based on that battle mm-hmm. so a lot of people think these iron dragons are basically his version of of tanks showing up because okay. it said that the iron dragons could cross rough terrain and in the bellies of the dra- iron dragons were orcs with scimitars and spears ready to jump out as they needed so he seriously prepared for this assault and uh, while this all this shit is going down, Maglin is making his move, and he's headed over to Tuor's freaking house. Yeah, so Maglin finally decides it's time for me to do my thing now that we're in the heat of this, and he yeah heads down to where's tu- where Tuor's house is, and his plan is to kill Arendil, Tuor's son, throw him over the the edges of the city and let him fall into the fire and the battle, and then he was gonna try to. What, make Arendil, or I'm sorry, make Idril, the mother, show him the way out of the city? Mm, yeah. Because uh, she had prepared a, uh, a secret. secret way. Yeah, Idril had a secret way out. Because her and Tuor were very uh, skeptical of um, of Turgon's plan. So they decided that like it was going to be a slaughter if anything ever got in here. So they had a secret way out. Right. I mean, a big part of Tuor's life was delivering the message to Turgon that this isn't going to last mm-hmm. and it's going to fall. So he prepared himself since Turgon decided not to prepare the city anyway. So, yeah. So Tuor shows up as Maglin is dragging Eärendil out. Baby Eärendil, which we didn't mention, actually, that they had a son. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. you're probably wondering who the, who Erendil is at this yeah. point. Well, while they were living happily in Gondolin, uh, Tuor and his new wife Idril had a son. And so Erendil's a- like a couple, he's like four maybe years old. Right, he's and he's another character who is the uh, product of an elf and a man. Mm-hmm. This is another one of those few, like, Baron and Luthien type things where Tuor and Idril are now together, a man and an elf, mm-hmm. and they had a son, Erendil. Erendil, which is the subject of our next episode. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. So, Maglin is trying to kill Erendil, drag him out, and throw him over to the edge. And this is right when Tuor shows up. And, yeah, Tuor uh, and his house fight against Maglin and his house. And uh, eventually, Tuor uh, kills a uh, Arendil. <laughs> kills, kills his, his son. own son. Um, he kills Maglin, right? He chucks him off the. Yeah, he throws Maglin over the edge instead. Yeah, He's instead. like, no, hell no. I mean, Tuor is a huge guy. I can only yeah. imagine how easy it was for him to just pick up Maglin him and just off. throw that little bitch over the side. And uh, yeah, it specifically said that he smote the the sides 
he hit three things on the way down. Oh, really? Yeah, it specifically says three things. <laughs> yeah, he hit it thrice upon the walls. Boom, boom, boom. Like, he hit. Yeah. Tolkien got real specific with how that motherfucker fell to his death. <laughs> Jeez, I wonder if there was actually a character in the Battle of, what was it, Somme, you said? In the Psalm? Yeah. The Psalm, the Battle of the Psalm that, that uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was in. I wonder if there was actually a, a character, like, in his troop that was similar to the character of Matt. I wonder if there was somebody who was trying to do something shady. Oh, maybe. That'd Maglin's be cool. based off a real asshole. Yeah, maybe he's based off a real, <laughs> real, ba- you know, real asshole from the Battle of Somme. I don't know. Something to think about. Yeah, and so at this point, uh, Tour kind of realizes that the the battle is lost between um, the cities falling. So he decides to gather a whole bunch of people and take them out the secret way. Yeah, at this point, there's already been like some really cool major battles. There's a final major you know, resistance in the center of the city around the fountain. Oh, Ecthelion, yeah. Around the fountain, and that's when uh, Turgon finally repented and is like, yeah, this was a bad idea. Like, we shouldn't have stayed. You guys try to do what you can and get as many people out. I'm going to try to defend what I can. Mm -hmm. And this is a a pretty dramatic point because this is when Gothmog, the leader of the Belrogs, comes into the, uh, the area, into the square where the fountain is, and is going to kill everybody but Ecthelion has a badass moment Ecthelion yeah man he takes that motherfucker down and they fight in the fountain itself and uh they're both drowned Ecthelion is Ecthelion is Turgon's what leader of the of the guard or uh the house of the fountain I believe house of the fountain yeah he's like the 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 lord of the fountain they call it yeah okay Ecthelion in the house of the fountain yeah, yeah. so he he's a he's a pretty big character in, in Gondolin and he sacrifices himself. Oh. What about Ecthelion? Is, uh, let's do a third age tie-in. What is Ecthelion's sword? Glamdring. No. Orchrist. Orchrist. Oh. Orchrist. Yeah, so I had a 50% chance. A 50% <laughs> chance. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, the swords uh, known as Orchrist and Glamdring, Gandalf's sword in the third age, and uh, Thorin... Oakenshield sword. These are the swords that they pull out of the the troll, the troll horde in the beginning yeah. of the Hobbit. They're from Gondolin. Yeah, they're Gondolindrum bro- blades, and this blade is being used right now in to the fight. Kill. So what's really funny to me is they call Orcris the Goblin Cleaver, and it killed Gothmog. Yeah, you think it'd be called the Balrog Cleaver, which is way more badass. <laughs> yeah, or Balrog's bane. You know, there you go. simple. Yeah, yeah, the BB. <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, that happens. Uh, Ecthelion kills uh, Gothmog in the fountain with Orchrist. With Orchrist. Yeah. And they both die in the... And they both die in the fountain, and they, they like, drowned Gothmog's flames in the fountain. It's super dramatic. And then that gives them time to get the remaining uh, citizens and uh, Tuor and uh, Idril and their son Erendil. It gives them all time to get away on the secret path that Idril had previously put together for this very scenario now they make it it's like a secret path it goes like under their house and like down under the city and it comes out in a field but it's covered by bushes and then they run to this pass in the mountains it's the getaway scene is is pretty dramatic but the the thing to note is at a point they're in the mountains and they're along a a really thin ridge um, they call it the Eagle's Cleft. And it's a very narrow pass with a cliff 
to one hand and a sheared drop to the other. So it's pretty dangerous. Single file along here. And mm-hmm. they've got this group of refugees at this point basically trying to get out. Mm-hmm. And they come across a Belrog on oh. this path that was purposely sent there to prevent them from escaping the yeah. city. And Morgoth is like, go kill all the refugees. Yeah, basically. And so now we've got another badass character that steps forth. Glorfindel. Glorfindel. And he's actually in the Third Age, too. It's a really weird character. Anyway, Glorfindel takes on this Balrog by himself. Does Glorfindel have the other sword? Does he have Glamdring? No, Turgon. That's Turgon's sword. Oh, the king's sword. Yeah, yeah. Glamdring is Turgon's sword. Oh, God. So the entire time Gandalf was... Carrying the king, of, sword, yeah. the king of Gondolin's sword. Yeah, fuck yeah. Isn't that badass? That's badass. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can see why Gandalf was like, yeah, you guys can have those. I'm going to take this one. Yeah, like he, it, uh, it was more than up to the task of killing a Balrog. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and so uh, just like Gandalf, um, Glorfindel takes on a Balrog 1v1. One, one, uh, one Using using his own special, so who knows what Glorfindel's got? I'm sure they've I'm sure probably got, got all cool, cool swords. Yeah. They're all from Gondolin. Yeah, but yeah, he t- uh, they eventually both fall over the precipice and uh, are killed, Gl- both Glorfindel and the Balrog. So Glorfindel sacrificed his life to uh, have these people escape Gondolin. Yeah, so we've got two elves that sacrificed themselves along the way. We had Glorfindel and then we had Ecthelion. Those are two really badass names that you guys should always remember. And uh, Glorfindel is actually the only character that we know of ever to be reincarnated and sent back to Middle-earth. Because he's at the Council of Elrond. Does he meet Frodo somewhere He does meet Frodo, yeah. Yeah, earlier on they when they're leaving the Shire and whatnot, right? The, he, when they have a, a, a gr- the first time, I think, early on in the, the Fellowship of the Ring book, when Frodo comes across elves, isn't that when... Uh, that's, uh, it start, his name also it starts with a G, I can't oh, remember. Oh, so it's a different elf. It's a different oh, elf, I'm but sorry, he does guys. meet Glorfindel at, um, at the Council of Elrond. At the Council of Elrond. Is yeah. Glorfindel the one that, that uh, saves him on the river from the... That's the, the same elf that you're thinking of, and I can't remember. Oh his name. no, I'm sorry. I'm totally. Or no, no, no. It is Glorfindel who is saves it? him. Yes, because he he releases like his uh, his, his like light of the form. trees power. Yeah, power. His yeah. light of the trees power. Yeah, I've got it a modifier. <laughs> light of the trees. Light of the trees plus ten. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Glorfindel is the elf that saves Frodo from the wraiths at the river on their way to Imladris. Anyway, a cool reincarnation of a character that doesn't really happen. But uh, back to our, our good friends Tuor and Idril and their, their son Erendil. After Glorfindel also sacrifices his life, killing a Belrog, so that they can safely pass through this eagle's cleft, uh, the eagles actually come and, and save them. Yeah, and they gather up uh, Glorfindel's body. They retrieve it as mm-hmm. well. And that's that's kind of the last of the fall of Gondolin. Gondolin is completely destroyed from there. Like, they level the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, dragons, Belrogs, all sorts of stuff. Dragon tanks, basically. Siege engines, yeah, the whole nine yards. So at this point, the, the refugees or the exiles of Gondolin, it says that they wandered for a year or maybe more before they eventually made their way down to the mouths of Sirion, which is... Or Ulmo said that they should have gone in the first in place. In the first place, yeah. But they didn't. Um, and so when they got down there, I think that's when they founded a new 
it wasn't a kingdom because it wasn't huge and prosperous like the other ones. But didn't they? Yeah, it was it basically a refugee. camp. It was like a refugee camp that they that they that they made up down there at the mouths of Syrian, right along the shore, mm-hmm. right near Kirdan, so everyone could be near each other. Good communication. And yeah, and they uh, they mingle with the the refugees from the fall of Doriath as well. Right, because uh, around. Was it just after the fall of Gondolin, or was it just just before? before? Just before the fall of Gondolin is when Doriath finally falls. It fall. It gets sacked a second time, but it is truly fallen at that point mm-hmm. and doesn't come it's, back. It's uh, that's when the sons of Feanor move in and they try to kill. Uh, they kill Dior. Yeah, they kill the king. They kill Dior, and then Kelgorm, Kurufin, and Carinthir are killed. A lot of people die in that. In that, that's mm-hmm. the second kin slaying. Yeah, the second elf on elf slaying mm-hmm. done by. Not sons of Feanor. Sons of Feanor. Yeah. Fucking assholes. Um, so now the refugees of Gondolin, including Tuor and his wife Idril, and their half-elven, half-man son, Erendil, are now safely living near the shores of the sea at the mouths of the River Syrian. So yeah, in the year 525, uh, they build a uh, they, being uh, Idril and uh, Tuor, they build a ship called Arame, uh, the Sea Wing, and they sail into the west, and they're um, uh, never heard from again. Yeah, during the time that they stayed at the mouths of Syrian along the the shores, there the the same um, the sea, sea longing, longing that yeah. that Tuor had experienced when he first met the sea, it just grew to be too strong, so he had to go set sail. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's uh, it's in the tradition of the Eldar and the Adain that they arrived in Valinor, and that Tuor alone is counted among the Noldor. And so yeah, that's uh, that's more or less the end of uh, this uh, story. Tuor in the Fall of Gondolin. Um, it so yeah, it's basically the fruition. It comes to fruition the uh, prophecy of uh, of Huor. At the the near Nathar Nordiad, mm-hmm. that the uh, the descendant of the house of Hador, and Turgon, would uh, be the new hope for, for uh, both houses. Yeah. So there, it's the basically the prophecy is referring to, Tuor and Idril's son Erendil, the the half elven, half man, and that prophecy came to fruition. Mm-hmm. But uh, to see exactly. W- what How that happens. To see what Erendil does to save the day. Stay tuned for our next episode. Next episode, we're going to cover Erendil and kind of finish off a lot of these 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 major tales. Yeah, and um, so stay tuned. Uh, after the episode, we have a little uh, special announcement here. So we're going to do our sign off, and then we will come back for the special announcement. So this has been uh, this has been tour in the fall of Gondolin. Uh, I'm Danny J. This is Joel N. And uh, yeah, as always, keep on talking, guys. Keep on talking. guys this is uh this is danny J of keep on tolkien and this is joel n uh we're here telling you about a little thing we're doing for the holidays here um called the gift of tolkien um where we're essentially encouraging everybody to um give a tolkien book to somebody 
for for the holidays whatever your holiday is uh if you celebrate it with gifts um uh you know give a tolkien book to somebody i uh started out my tolkien career being gifted the hobbit and it changed my life so if you could give the hobbit to a child this year and change that child's life that's what we're about here that's what we're asking you to do yeah if you haven't gotten it by now we're pretty pretty in love with uh tolkien's work and, and we want to spread it. It yeah. brings us a lot of joy. <laughs> and we want to spread that joy to other people. Some of us have received uh, Tolkien's work as gifts. Um, I actually got a bunch of Tolkien's work as a Christmas gift last year, and that's that's mm-hmm. kind of what sparked my huge recent uh, Tolkien extravaganza mm-hmm. in my life. But it's just it's a really wonderful gift to give. Yeah, and so what we're doing uh, is... is uh, uh, we uh, we did a video about this, so check it out on our, our YouTube channel, the Keep On Talking YouTube channel. Um, it's a little long, but it explains... Or no, it's not going to be a little long. The first one was long. The first one was the long video. Right. This one's a short video, yep. and it's going to explain um, a little what we're doing here. So what you should do is um, take a picture or uh, let us know via Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, guys. Yeah, we want um, we want to kind of give you guys a shout out to anyone that w- decides that they want to give the gift of Tolkien this year. We want to see how many people's lives we can change by getting into this amazing, amazing uh, fantasy work. Right. So yeah, post it up. Uh, 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 let us hit us up about it uh, with the hashtag, the gift of Tolkien, and um, we will say your name and your donation um, on. Uh, a future episode or a future video. And that's another thing, guys. If you don't know anybody to give Tolkien books to, there are plenty of organizations that are great that you can donate books to oh, that, yeah. that help underprivileged children. Right, not even just giving it as a personal gift, but just uh, maybe doing a donation. Yeah, do a donation to somebody. Uh, let us know who you donated to. Hashtag the gift of Tolkien. Uh, and we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about you. And uh, so, yeah, we're just trying to just get just get you guys to just give one Tolkien book this season, maybe. And if you if you have a hard time and you don't know where to donate to, hit us up uh, at uh, at our Gmail. You can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Or Facebook as well. or Twitter, and we will help you uh, find a place near you to donate a book, uh, um, for the holiday season. Yeah, spread the spread the love, guys. That's what we're looking for. That's so all we're trying to do. So that's what we're looking for. Yeah, and um, we're gonna talk about it in the uh, probably the next couple episodes too. We'll mention it, but um, yeah. So just over the so keep on Tolkien is gonna be taking a break for the holidays because uh, that's the end of our first season here. Is gonna end. Right we've around got the we've holidays. got uh, two more episodes after this one, but yeah, right after right after the holidays, we're gonna be we're gonna be taking a break. We're at, we're ending it on episode fifteen. So this is uh your guys's chance uh to change the world. I mean, think of to I mean change the world. I mean, you're changing if, someone's world, that's right? For somebody's sure. world. Like if my friend Sam hadn't came to me in two thousand one and gave me the Hobbit and was like, dude, this is the best book ever. Read this shit. I wouldn't have a Tolkien podcast today. It changed my life. And it'll change other people's lives, guys. So give the gift of Tolkien. Hashtag the gift of Tolkien. Hit us up with your donation. And enjoy your holidays, guys. Whatever it is that you're celebrating, make it worthwhile. Yeah. And as always, keep on Tolkien. Keep on Tolkien.